everybody. Welcome to your very favorite Bronze Age comic book podcast. This is Flea Market Fantasy. I am your co-host, Mike L. And as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. That's right. And this week it is my pick. And I've decided to go with a very late Bronze Age pick, Sandman number six. And as usual, one of our millions of fans saw what our pick was and demanded <laughs> he be on the episode. So why don't you tell us who our special guest is this week, Mike Dell? Well, he's making his third appearance on the show. Uh, previously, he was on the Doctor Strange episode, the Black Panther episode, and now he's back for The Sandman. Because right. the official title, Mike Dell, is The Sandman. Ooh, I got it wrong. Okay. It's like our buddy, The Ed. And here it is, uh, Bob. You might Hello. know his poor parrot. It's Bob, everybody. How are you guys? <laughs> we're great. Yeah, I know. Now, Bob, you were very excited when you heard uh, we were doing the Sandman. I completely forgot that you uh, were a fan of this, and you volunteered to come on the show. Thank you so much, because no I am not a fan of the Sandman. <laughs> I, now, I, I how don't much, know. <laughs> yeah. How much I did never, you read? Th- this is the first issue I've ever read of the Sandman. Okay, not a great start. Okay. Yeah, it's a tough issue to join in on, I'll admit. Uh, but we'll get into that in a minute. But, uh, Bob, uh, why don't you tell us about your history with The Sandman? Uh, so I was first introduced to this maybe ten years ago. I got into comics fairly late. Um, but a friend told me about it, said, hey, this is a thing you'd probably be interested in. Started reading it, fell in love immediately. Um, I've read the whole series. I've been meaning to reread it again, so this was a spark for that. So that's going to happen. Um, I would say Neil Gaiman is probably my favorite author. I've read most of his novels and a lot of his other comics and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I can can speak openly about it. That's good, because (laughs) I cannot. Mike L., what's your history with The Sandman? Uh, Sandman, well, I mean, it it came out... It was launched in the late 80s, and at that point, I was just getting into DC. I was reading Batman and Superman, and I always knew Sandman was there, but I didn't really get into him until a few years into the run, there was a special issue they published with a, a uh, what's it called? A glow-in-the-dark cover, I think it was. It was the... Oh, fancy. Remember that? Yeah, it was uh, Orpheus. <laughs> I think it was called Orpheus or something, and it was a single issue just about his son. It was like a story about his son. And it, 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 it blew me away. Like, that to me was the closest anyone came to Alan Moore at that point. Um, and so I, ne- I never got the whole series, but I slowly started collecting single issues. And then when the trades came out, I started collecting the trades. And I've still never read the whole thing, but I would say I've read at least a half or two-thirds of the series, and I love it. All right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, The Sandman ran for 75 issues from 1989 to 1995. Uh, as, as Bob mentioned, Neil Gaiman wrote all of the issues, mm-hmm. and all the covers for all 75 issues were uh, done by Dave McKean. Mm-hmm. Michael, would you like to tell people about Dave McKean? Well, I'm no expert, but he's, you know, he's sort of, uh, I guess you'd call him, he's more like a classical artist, right? Or like a fine artist, sorry. He usually does painting, or um, when he does do ink, it's the closest thing I can think of as something like Bill Sienkiewicz. He's kind of in that yeah, vein. Yeah, a little bit. Definitely. Um, yeah. I think he came to prominence on Arkham Asylum, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, right. Arkham Asylum. And the key and, thing about uh, these covers is, I mean, again, this is 1989. Like, to think about what else was popular at the time, you know, uh, Jim Aparo's Batman and Jim Lee's X-Men, 
this looks nothing like anything else. It's, I think it's a combination of paint and there might even be like mixed media in here, right? Where he's, he might actually be yeah. cutting up fabrics and whatever, using photos and stuff. And so I'll, most of the covers are like this. So this is, I don't know. I think it's really cool. It makes it stand out for sure. Yeah, it's, it's definitely mixed media. He did a lot of that too. Right, right. Uh, before we get into the actual book, though, uh, Mike Elder, this is not the first Sandman. Maybe that's why he's called the Sandman. Maybe uh, that's why. <laughs> there was the first Sandman. Do you know the first Sandman, Mike Elder? His name was, I believe, was it Dan? No, Wesley Dodds. That is correct. Wesley Dodds first appeared right. in Adventure Comics 40, 1939. Right. Created by Gardner Fox and Burt Christman. Chris, uh, and he was part of the Justice Society of America. This is the Sandman I like. He, he wears okay. like the the green suit, business suit with the mask, with the and he has gas, a gas mask. gun. Right. Yeah. yeah this is the and, Sandman I like. And he was very early, right? Like he was like maybe DC's fourth or fifth superhero, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's thirty-nine. Right. Be pretty early. Bob, are you familiar with the first Sandman? Um, only a little bit. And really, only what I've learned from this. Um, he does appear in like issue four of the Sandman very briefly. Oh. There's a there's a nod to him, um, but yeah, I've never read any of the old Sandman books, so I don't know anything about him really. But and then, Mike, you know, he, he was just like a dude, though, right? Like he wasn't mystical in any way. No, I, I think he was just a guy that shot gas out of his gas gun, <laughs> and then. Uh, I know that he was brought back in the 90s uh, in, uh, under Sandman Mystery Theater, so they kind of went back and they altered his costume a little bit, made his gas mask a little bit more realistic and funky looking. Um, so yeah, there's also a run in the 90s of Sandman Mystery Theater about Wesley Dodds, and that's written by, I think, Steve Siegel and drawn by Guy Davis, and that's actually really good too. What about the second Sandman, Michael? Any thoughts, any ideas who he is? That was, I believe, was it Dan Garrett? Uh, Garrett Sanford. Garrett Sanford. Oh, okay. Okay, and that, that's Jack Kirby, right? Yes, created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. The same brain trust behind Captain America. That's right. And uh, it, He premiered in Sandman number 1, 1974. And he, he looked more like a traditional superhero. He wore this really garish yellow and red costume. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah... So that's the second Sandman. Bob, do you ever see the second Sandman? Uh, no, I have no knowledge at all of the second Sandman, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> you know Same what? Kirby in garish costumes? Why not? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure he makes a cameo in one of the early, one of these first five issues, at least one panel. They just show him briefly. That wouldn't surprise me, and yeah. I just didn't realize who he was. It's also confusing because the, the first Sandman with a gas mask got a costume redesigned by Kirby in the 40s and that was also I think a yellow and red costume so I think people yeah. mix those two up yeah <laughs> now there was a third Sandman named Hector Hall that's right and he was part of the All-Star Squad his first appearance was All-Star Squad in 25 1983 created by Roy Thomas and uh, Jerry Ordway and uh, this Hector Hall character Michael I don't know he then became Dr. Fate and I guess he's been bouncing around doing a lot of stuff I don't know explain who Hector Hall is do you know all, all I know is he's the son of Hawkman, right? And Hawkwoman. <laughs> More than I know. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, that's all I know. I mean, that, I, I, I think Tom DeFalco said something recently. He said he doesn't like when superheroes take on the identities of other superheroes, and I'm with him. If yeah. someone, like, you know, if, if 
like to me hawkeye is hawkeye there was a brief time when hawkeye became goliath too it's yep. just it's all it gets messy when you start doing that right so i don't really know much about that third sandman to be honest What's Bob, interesting hey. is I'm pretty sure he plays a prominent role in this Sandman series. I'm looking it up right now, trying to figure it out because I recognize the name Hector Hall. Ah, okay. Yeah, he does. It's stories after this, but his I think wife, Le- yeah, Lita Hall, and her son are very big parts of the story later on. Huh. So that's interesting. I won't spoil it, but they're very important okay. to the story. So then that brings us to this current the Sandman. And uh, well, he has a billion different names, but most people call him Dream. Is that correct, Michael? Yep, Dream. I think that's his official name, but he's also Morpheus and a bunch yeah. of other names. Yep. And he is one of the seven endless, which I guess are like, uh, explain that, Michael, just like eternal people. They're, yeah, they're, uh, I don't know, Bob, maybe you know more than me. They're kind of like gods, right? Yeah, they're treated as more than gods in this. They're sort of manifestations of ideas, I guess mm. would be the best way to put it. Yeah, and uh, Neil Gaiman, I don't know if you're going to touch on this, Mike Dell, but he kind of, he, he definitely incorporated some aspects of like DC superheroes into this. So when he created The Endless, he put Destiny in there. But I think the rest of them were all created by him. So at this point, okay. he was... Yeah, he was trying to fit it into the DC universe, but then as time went on, he kind of just, that all just kind of fell away, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if you're going to name them all, but... Well, can you name them all, Michael? Oh, boy, let me try. Uh, well, Dream, Death, Destiny, Delirium, Destruction, Decay, and... No, 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 no? Decay is not one of them. Okay, not Decay. So that's five I got right? Yep. Oh boy! Uh, I I give up. Bob, do you know Donner, the other two? You're Donner missing Blitzen. Desi- yeah, <laughs> you're missing desire. And did you say delirium? He said delirium, but uh, then he, despair. He, I think is the other yes, one, right? Despair. Yep. Right, despair. Right. <laughs> there you go. The seven endless. I don't know. Whatever. Here's the thing. I just don't like any of this stuff. Like, it's just not my thing. You know, like. Um, I, this is I There's guess very little punching. Yes, this is like dark fantasy. I guess I don't like fairies. I don't like magic. I don't like demons and angels. This just isn't my thing, you know. So what's interesting is I generally don't like any of that either. But for some reason, magic I kind of and I think this is what made me like magic more. But usually fantasy fairies and stuff I'm not into at all. But somehow when Neil Gaiman writes it and writes it in Sandman, I'm into it. I don't know why. But yeah, yeah, I definitely get it. It's not for everybody. And there's like no robots in this whole thing. So. <laughs> no. There's one punch, an old guy punching the teenage girl, but that's about it. Um, so uh, when I look at my notes for this issue, well, there's one other, we should mention, uh, there's one other character. In here. Well, first of all, Michael, Dream, explain who Dream is for us. Because I'll tell you what, it, as my first issue of reading The Sandman, and The Sandman is barely in it. He shows up. Like a, a guy looking like Rick Ocasek shows up at the end. So I'm, guessing <laughs> that, I'm guessing that's Sandman. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, what can I say other than that he, you know, he is like an idea. He represents. He's the, he's literally the god of dreams. He. Okay. I don't know how else to explain him. I mean, it's like Bob said. He represents an idea. Like he represents dream dreams for humans or of the entire universe. I know one thing is he definitely 
he can appear as different things, like to different people, into different civilizations. He's been around forever. Um, you know, beyond that, I don't really know how to explain him. I, although he's not all powerful, because in the first arc of this series, we see that he's been um, kind of imprisoned for like, what is it, 80 years or 70 years or something, right? And so he's definitely not all powerful. Um, but I don't know how else to really explain him. Bob, would you like to take a swing at it? Um, so yeah, uh, it's basically everything he said. He controls the dream world, so he is like he's got people who work for him who are literally like librarians of dreams. But e <laughs> any idea, any thought that anyone's ever had is comes from the in their dreams at least comes from the dream world, and he is the lord over it essentially. Wow. <laughs> he's very powerful. I have to comment on our, in case anyone's listening out there in uh, Flea Market Fantasy Land, we do have new and improved audio, but either, either the audio from Mike Dell's end is coming through in slow motion, or Mike Dell is very tired. I can't tell. No, <laughs> Mike I'm Dell very is not tired. enthused. <laughs> very tired. You could use some dreams right now, right? Some yeah, endless. I got bad allergies. My eyes are watering. Oh, okay. And yeah, you sound like you're talking in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> It might also be that I just don't give a fuck about Neil Gaiman and Sandman. <laughs> ugh, ugh, our listeners say ugh. Anyway. It's <laughs> not for me. Uh, here's the one note I had after I read this book. Um, I, I summed it up in three words. Pretentious emo bullshit. That's how I summed it up. <laughs> That's just me. Yeah, and, and. <laughs> I mean, that is a little bit fair. And in fairness, I guess, to Neil Gaiman, this is one of the earliest things he wrote. Like yeah. previous comics, I think he he'd written the Black Orchid, and I think that one um, backstory story you guys read about Poison Ivy, right? And a few other random comics for like English companies, but this is very early on in his career. But it, is, it does come off as a little bit pretentious. Um, it, I think he gets it, better as he ages. My my second note: this is like a freshman creative writing student trying to be edgy. Yeah, yeah it, he definitely it leans into the edgy a little bit too hard here. He he's he softens those edges later in life for sure. I think that. Yeah. I was well, there's say, a couple scenes we'll talk about that had me rolling my eyes. They were so ridiculous. But all right, um, what did you want to say? Mark I was going to say, yeah, I think he one of his first professional assignments was following Alan Moore on Miracle Man. So I mm. think he from the very start he was probably trying to out more Alan Moore. So maybe that's yes. why that could have been what's happening here. The, yeah, well, we'll get one other thing we want to talk about before we get into the issue. I guess the main guy in this book is a fellow named Doctor Destiny, right? And again, I had no idea who this guy was until after I read this. Uh, his real name is John D. Uh, first appearance: Justice League of America, five, nineteen sixty-one, created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. Right. And he's a criminal scientist. <laughs> it seems like in seems in comic books, scientists are always bad news, you know. <laughs> And there are Always a lot bad. of them, too. A lot yes. of scientists. How are they getting their degrees if they're so, they're so horrible, these people? Um, so, but uh, I guess his big claim to fame is he created something called, let me see if I can pronounce this, the Mary, the Materioptican, <laughs> Materioptican, also known as the Dreamstone. Right. Uh, they, was I close on the pronunciation, Michael? Materioptical. I have no clue. Alright. <laughs> Sounds good to me. But it's basically like a red ruby, a jewel. Right. 
and uh, it helps them. Uh, Bob, what does it do? It helps them like uh, manipulate dreams and reality, right? Yeah, it basically makes physical manifestations of dreams and reality. And I had no idea that that was a thing that, like, had a previous history. I, I like, I think I knew this guy was a character, but yeah. So this story basically retcons the whole idea of him creating this dreamstone and all that, which is interesting. I didn't know that was a part of DC lore. Yeah, because this uh, this Doctor D or Doctor Destiny, whatever they what they call him, he uh, was he was around pre-crisis. And then, you know, post-crisis, DC continuity and all that, they changed his history a little bit, and they changed some stuff. So I think originally he had created the stone or something, but then uh, then Dream created it, Michael, right? Like Dream actually I created believe, it? Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but yeah. That's kind of like, well, that's what they're, like, this is, I, we, we should mention, this is like proto-Vertigo, right? So with Sandman and uh, Grant Morrison on Doom Patrol and then, uh, Jamie Delaney, Delano on uh, Constantine or Hellblazer. They were kind of like, you know, British writers that were just let loose with these DC characters. And so they started definitely like retconning and rewriting things from the past. And this is definitely an example of that where he's incorporating DC history into this book. But most of the stuff is all brand new. So I think in this uh, story, in this, art, this uh, I don't know, post-crisis dream, the Sandman story, this gemstone was created by Dream, and then this guy, Dr. Destiny, stole it from him and made some changes to it with, like, circuitry and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I what can, I understood. I can go into a little more detail if you want, because I just reread this on yes, what, please Tuesday. Do. So I'll try not to get into much detail, but what happened is 80 years before this, um, some occult guys were trying to capture Death, which is Dream's sister. Um, and they accidentally captured Dream instead. And they were like, oh, well, this isn't what we wanted, but we can at least get something out of this. So they stole three <laughs> things from Dream, this ruby, his helmet, and a bag of sand, and they imprisoned him for 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, those items were then stolen by the, I think, mistress of the leader of the occult guy, and that was Dr. whatever this guy, Dr. Dr. Destiny. Destiny. That yeah. was his mother who gave him the oh. ruby. And the other items, okay. she she traded one to a demon, and I forget what happened with the other one, how it ended up. Constantine ended up with it, but I don't remember exactly how. Uh, but hmm. that's basically what happened. They captured Dream. He's stuck for 80 years. He escapes, and the whole story leading up to this is him regathering his items, his helmet, his bag of sand, and this ruby. Yeah, you got to get that bag of sand. You know? <laughs> well, but hey... Um, Bob, how did they cap? Like, was he in a physical prison, or was he um, in some it sort was of? A, it was a magical yeah. physical prison. Ah, uh, of course. All yeah, right. lots yeah. of magic involved. Yes, which is where I check, please. I'm out. <laughs> I don't like any of this. It was a cult right, magic, so, though. It's it's more fun if it's a cult magic. Yes. God bless the occult magic. Yeah, well, I, the, the, hold. I gotta intervene here for a minute here. Uh, you you don't like dark fantasy. You don't like fairies, but you do like the occult. No, not really. No. But but okay. <laughs> but, you, but you do. But you do like uh, what? It, how, maybe I'm using the wrong term here. But you. But uh, a few months back, I discovered that you're really into what, what would you call it then? Chaos magic. I'm not into it. I just researched it. Yes, but I don't. Mike, don't practice his blood magic. Yeah. Just don't tell anybody. <laughs> I don't practice okay. it. I just studied it as a topic. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I think that's all the key, like, because everyone else in this book is just random people. 
we mentioned Neil Gaiman wrote all these, and the artist in this is Mike Dringenberg. Right. Dringenberg. <laughs> um, I, there's not too much about him, so let's just talk about him now. <laughs> he was born in France in 1965, <laughs> but he lives in Utah. Uh, he inked the first four issues of Sandman over Sam Keith art, and then he took over as penciler mm. in issue six. And he drew 11 issues total. He co-created Death, and he based her look on one of his friends. How about that? Cool. And he did, and his friend's name was Cinnamon, so that's pretty cool. Um, mm. He did one issue of Doom Patrol with Grant Morrison and co-created Flex Mentalo. Ah, so right. He work, He works as an illustrator doing book jackets and CD covers, and he also did illustrations for Magic the Gathering. But his mm. comic book run is pretty limited. Uh, this work on the Sandman's pretty much his biggest thing. Hmm. 11 issues. So there you go. Let's see the artist here. Alright, so are we ready to get into this issue? Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sure. We talk about Take the cover. We already talked about the cover, I guess, eh? Well, we didn't really describe it, though. Describe what what it looks like, Michael. Whew. So we got... I believe this is... Doctor or John D's hands, uh, or he's looking through his hands that are sort of covering his face, so you can't really see who it is. And then around him, there are these boxes of people's faces, which I don't even know if they're supposed to represent the people in the book or what. But we see like, uh, I and I don't know what we see a sort of uh, <laughs> we see sort of like a a sack like with holes cut out of it for kind of looks like the scarecrow, right? Yeah, like the scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Then we see I don't even know what this is. I have no idea. Then we see a monkey. Then we see a guy <laughs> below that with the monkeys like connected to the guy through wires. Then on the other side, we see another face. We see is that it's a clock. I don't know if it's hanging from someone's neck or what it is. Then we see yeah. a woman's face. It's probably a photograph, maybe I don't know. Then we see like an X-ray of a of a skull. Then we see another person's face with like a cutout of like something with like a woman's lipstick on them. And then we see another monkey. And that's pretty <laughs> much it. <laughs> and you know what I see when I look at all this? Pretentious emo bullshit. That's what I see. Really? Um, <laughs> Bob, what do you feel about the cover here, Bob? Uh, I like it. I'm a big fan of Dave McKean's art. And I don't mind a little pretentious. And I certainly don't <laughs> mind a little. And this isn't even like emo, but it's really, it's more goth. Emo barely existed right, at right, this right, point. Right, this got is goth. And, and goth is cool. Oh. So. Right. All I'm saying is, if you uh, when you're reading the Sandman, if you li- if you get quiet and you listen carefully, you can almost hear the Cure playing in the background. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, even later there's a Joy Division <laughs> reference. It's wonderful. Right. And really, I'm pretty sure that the Sandman you called him Rick Ocasek, but I think it's actually based on Peter Murphy from Bauhaus. So yeah, wow. po- post punk is heavily influencing this. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I mean, I, Mike Dell, I know you'd rather see a bunch of superheroes running from the left and supervillains running from the right yes. about to punch each other. Yes. And a, a, a little tag that says, when titans clash. But not I every comic that. can have that type of cover, you know? <laughs> Hold on. Let me just, I want to just imagine that for a few seconds and get happy. 
All right. <laughs> um, also, like you mentioned, Michael, this was DC still. I don't think they switched to Vertigo like round issue forty or something. Is that right or thirty? I'm not sure know. how far in, but yeah, they kind of just created the Vertigo imprint for like Sandman, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Hellblazer, all those comics, Animal Man. And uh, on the right, co- and we should say the uh, the big logo here. It says V Sandman. Uh, Master of Dreams, and that's written like an aqua font over purple right. block background. So that's you know, if you like Miami Vice, you're gonna love this. <laughs> it also says suggested for mature readers. We should point that out. <laughs> yes. And how? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's a dollar fifty, so it seems pricey. Yeah, um, it's it's also we should point out it says on the left number six June nine uh, June nineteen eighty nine new format. So that was like a slightly higher quality paper, right? So that's why it's more expensive. All right. So uh, we get to the big splash page here, a 24-hour all-night diner. And right away, the, the first little uh, block of narration, I already know what we're in for with the pretension. <laughs> Hour one, the flies walked into the web. I'm like, oh, good. Here we go. I didn't like that right away. I mean, it's no Stan Lee, but, you know, he's doing his well, best just, here. Yeah, just beating you over the head with shit. All right, so right. take it away, Michael. Describe what's sure. going on. So we are first introduced to this waitress in this restaurant, in this diner. Her name is Betty. Or Bet, I guess, right? Yeah, Bet. just Bet. Bet. And, you know, we're, so Neil Gaiman is kind of describing that she's an author, but no one knows she's an author. She writes these stories, yes. and in the stories, she uses the characters or the people that she meets in the diner as characters in her stories, but she rewrites them all to have happy endings and uh, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, there's a, good, there's a line where it says she knows when to end the stories because if you, if you go on too long, you know, they all end in death, basically. So then... That's another aspect of this is like a freshman creative writing student. They always put in a character that's a writer. And they're always secretly romantic, and no one knows uh, about it. But, yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Um, but I mean, it's also just like any young film director director is going to make a movie about making a movie, right? Yes. Because Christ yes. knows I've done that. <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, basically. So then we we start to be introduced to the characters in the diner, and so she serves this one girl, and it's kind of inferred that she's a prostitute. I think. No. Right. No. Oh I no! A dr- uh, uh, no no! Well, she's doing what is what is it? She's doing in the bathroom. Is it is she a drug addict? No, she just had to go pee. Uh, she's a lesbian though, and that's why. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. Okay, okay. That's why Bet's a little. She's not judgmental, but she well, she is kind of judgmental. I don't know. <laughs> she's nice right, a little bit. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. They they right. mentioned that she writes stories where her and her girlfriend meet men and get married to men. So right, yeah, she's, right, right. She's not quite approving of her lifestyle. Right, right, right. Well, what's uh, this girl's name, though? We should mention her name. This girl so. is... I forget. Uh, Judy, I believe. Yeah, and her girlfriend is Donna. Yeah. Yeah, Judy and Donna. Right. right. Okay. So then we're introduced to this guy. But what wait, I want to know what Mike what? L thought that she was doing in the bathroom. Well, because, because it says <laughs> what these girls... Because she says, I'm going to the bathroom. And then, yeah. she's, then the bet says... Uh, what these girls do is a sin against God. Now, to be honest, my first impression was, oh, well, she must be going to either shoot up or do something. <laughs> and I kind of just never came back to that character and pieced together what happened in the rest of the story. I kind of just assumed that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah well, she mentions, I'm going to the bathroom. If Donna comes by, tell her to wait, okay? So yeah. that's why she's talking about I read about into Donna. it different. And we also, 
Yeah, we also have uh, the Joy Division jacket, right? She's wearing the Joy Division jacket, so. <laughs> I gotta take a knee on that one. Yeah, like, <laughs> knock the wind out of me. All right, you're missing out, Mike Dell. Yeah, if out. only it was Leonard Skinner, right? But anyway. <laughs> no. <I'm not. laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so anyway, so then, uh, so then we're introduced to uh, okay, what's this guy's name? Um, the young yeah. man, huh? I don't know if they ever mentioned his name. I think he's just a young man. Hold yeah, on. okay. He's just a young man. Then we introduce another guy. Um, uh, well, this other guy comes in with a lady. And, uh, Bob, this guy's clearly Louis Anderson, right? I do believe this is Louis Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is that that stand-up comic? Who's yeah, Mike, you know, I don't know sure if Canadians know who Louis Anderson is, but he's a very large comedian. And he, doesn't he play a woman on a TV show? Yeah, I know Yeah, he Baskets. Is. Yeah. Yep. He used to host Family Feud. Right. Yeah. After all these years, you'd think he'd have got braces, eh? I always thought about him. But, anyway. but he looks exactly like Louis Anderson. There you go. So, all right. so yeah, so <laughs> Louis Anderson comes in with his wife, and they sit down, and they order some food. And, you know, and the, you know, the waitress is just narrating a uh, bet. And then we, we introduce to well, another it's, guy. It's not huh? actually the, the waitress actually isn't doing it's actually an omniscient narrative right okay you're you're yeah. right you're right you're right good point and that's where a lot of the pretension comes in wow what is it pretentious <laughs> to have an omniscient narrator <laughs> no so? but just the, the tone of the voice and the way that this is very much like you mentioned him trying to copy alan moore like that's i just got the like it reminded me of that alan moore swamp thing we read the same sure. kind of tone and same kind of hmm. um haughty <laughs> voice <laughs> but anyway hmm. So anyway, so yeah, so then this guy comes in, uh, kind of dressed in like a, I don't know, well, he kind of just looks like a truck driver or something. What is he now? I don't even remember what he is. I believe he's a truck driver. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, well, he's Bet's uh, fellow. Yeah. Ah, right, right, right. Okay. Oh yeah, this is they where we get. They were having an affair. Right. Yeah. This is where we get Marsh and Marsha. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so the narration says Beth sort of looked after Marsh since Marsha died. Marsh and Marsha, the writer in her whispers, they were obviously meant for each other. But Marsha drank herself to death, dyed yellow, and whispering in a sanitarium. Uh, Go ahead, Mike Dill. Well, I just hate that whole Marsha Marsha stuff. The writer and her uh, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> um. So then, uh, who's the next character? Um. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh. so those are the five people we're dealing with here. We got the young Judy, uh, who uh, is uh, a lesbian with Donna. Although we never see Donna. Then we have uh, Marsh, the older guy who's having an affair with Bet. Then we have the young guy, and his big thing is he's waiting to go to an, an important job interview. Then we right. have Louis Anderson and his wife. Uh, and I guess, but the what Bet said about them was that he married her for her money, maybe. And mm -hmm. but they seem to be in love, so whatever. Yeah. So then we're introduced. So then uh, we're introduced to a sixth character or a seventh character, and this is uh, kind of an odd-looking feller. Yes. Uh, he looks this, like this basically is, a. Go ahead. This is Doctor Destiny. This is Doctor yeah. Destiny. Yeah. And I gotta say, up until this point, I didn't. I was not impressed with the art, but I really like this big opening shot of his face. I think it's really well done. But he's. Just, I, go ahead. Like, do you think? Do you think he's manipulating things so they can't see what he looks like? Because... That's a good point because he looks exactly like you know like a zombie kind of right. 
uh, Bob, he kind of looks like the Crypt Keeper from yeah. uh, Tales from the Crypt. He does look a lot like the Crypt Keeper. And yeah, to the point of if he's manipulating it, I don't know. Because, again, a bit of backstory, the previous issue, he broke out of Arkham Asylum. Um, and so he, he'd been basically starved and left in a dungeon in there. That's why he looks like this. And he hitchhiked a ride with a woman, and he did not hide his appearance to her. She thought he had AIDS. She didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, so I don't know. He may be hiding his identity to these people, at least at first. But yeah, he looks creepy as hell. A yeah. Lot, I, very Crypt Keeper. I can't imagine anyone just like looking at him like, oh, yeah, that's a normal guy over there. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what, though? That's actually a good point, because if this was filmed as like a movie or TV show, that would be a great shot to just show him sitting there. And just looking exactly like the Crypt Keeper, but no one comments on it. That'd be so cool. Anyway, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So, so, yeah, he, so then, he, he's just oh, he's just watching these people, Michael. Just watching them. Right. And we're introduced to his, uh, what is it called? His. Uh, yeah, I can't even remember how to say it. Redstone, his ruby. Let's just call his, it the Dreamstone. That's the normal the dream name for stone. The Dreamstone. There you stone. go. The Infinity Stone. Right. Yeah. So then it's like we get some more writing that Mike Dell likes. Hour two. He was forced to act to prevent any of the flies from leaving. So now we have, so basically like the business guy is like, oh, no, I've got to go. You know, he's going to be late for my interview. So then uh, Dr. D or whatever his name is. What is his name? Dr. Destiny. He manipul- yeah, but they call him D and stuff too. John so D, yeah. So he manipulates him, his like mind, so that he's like, oh, I'm good. I'm just going to grab another coffee. So he sits back down and he's good to go, right? Yep. And then, uh, and then we show, uh, yeah, like the TV's on, and then, what's her name, Judy's on the phone, and then we're cutting over to, so like there's kind of another subplot where this is actually going, like this is happening sort of everywhere. I don't think we get to that yet, but we're cutting to this soap opera called Secret Hearts, and it's cutting back to Judy on the phone, and she, who's she arguing with? Oh, she's arguing with Donna, right? No, no, no. She's trying to find where Donna is. Oh, right, like, right, right. She's calling okay. around to her friends, and then she calls Donna's mom. Because uh, her and Donna had a fight, apparently. Right. And uh, she wants to get back together. She She's hoping that Donna's not still mad at her, that everything's fine. But right. she's starting to panic. So right. this, was a, this was a moment where I was very excited. Because, obviously, I didn't pick up on the first time. It's sort of an Easter egg. But Donna Cavanaugh is not another prominent character like three or four stories later into Sandman. Oh, and I was like, wait, Donna are. Kavanaugh. And I had to look it up. I'm like, oh yeah, that is, she's prominent in a later story. So it's just another little seed that he's dropping, which he does a lot in these stories. Very cool. Which Mike Dell hates because seeds are pretentious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I like, I like that. I like planting the seeds and whatnot. That's good. But, uh, yeah, again, this isn't just dropping me into issue six. Isn't really yeah, fair. Yeah, no, this is not a great way to start. And honestly, like, I, I like this first arc because I like the character of Sandman, but it, it's this is not the best of Sandman by any means. Here's the yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't want to be too hard. I, I will just, yeah. I will keep most of my comments to later, but I will say that my I misremembered, and I thought that this story was resolved in one issue, and when I got to the end, I was like, oh, crap, it's a cliffhanger. So that's, <laughs> that is my mistake. I will, take a, I will take a hit for that, but we'll get to that later. Fair, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, so then, so so yeah, we... Doctor Destiny's just watching TV, and he sees a kid show uh, with a guy and a puppet, and he's telling the kids to kill themselves. So I guess what we're getting here, Michael, is that uh, this is happening all over the world. Right. Like the whole right. world's going screwed. Right. And there's like the references to people not being able to sleep and having nightmares. Right. And so yeah. So this is affecting everybody basically. 
And then we cut over to uh, what's his name again? This guy, Louis oh, Anderson. Louis Anderson. Louis yeah, Anderson. Anderson. I can't believe that question. I don't know why I tried. <laughs> that was pretty good. I thought that was. Hey, a hey, trivia question for you, Mike L. Right. I saw on, on Facebook the other day you posted that you're a big fan of Perfect Strangers, right? Of course. I'm a big fan of Perfect Strangers or like twins, but uh, you know Larry Appleton, Mark Lynn Baker. Okay. They they shot a pilot. The first that they shot, uh, Louis Anderson played uh, cousin Larry. Come on. Yeah. Wow, I couldn't imagine that. How about that? I thought you were gonna say he was your cousin or something. No. <laughs> okay. It all ties all right. together. Louis Anderson right. and the Perfect Strangers and Sandman. That's right. Huh. So anyway, so uh, so yeah, basically, so now, so he's arguing with his wife, and then um, Judy's writing to Donna, right? And it's yep. all pretentious bullshit. And, uh, <laughs> no, no, bullshit. <laughs> right, right. And then we cut to, oh yeah, so then it's hour seven. He makes them feel good. He makes oh, the yeah, dreams wait, come wait, true. Oh yeah, wait, 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 let's discuss this for a moment, because we've totally forgot about this. But the whole gimmick of this issue is that uh, it's 24 hours. Right, and right, so, right, right, right. So every page or so there'll be a narration, like I said, hour one, the wet, the uh, flies get into the web or whatever. Then hour two. So we're up to hour seven. Yeah. And so holy hour... hell, by, by hour eleven, I was tapping out. Wait. Like, so out so book. just for the record, hour three, yeah. afternoon soap opera. Uh, hour four, he watched television. Hour five, the flies get re- restless. Hour seven. Oh, he skipped. Did he skip six? Oh no, hour six, then it's Dear Donna. Hour seven, yeah. he makes them feel good. He makes their dreams come true. So we, sh- we show the, the business guy uh, in an interview making money, and then we show, is this Louis Anderson in the car? Yep. Yeah, with a $20, you know, and Gary's having a $20 hooker in the convertible. Then he'll beat her up, throw her out of the car, drive off. He gets such a kick out of doing that. This is great stuff here. <laughs> there is no uh, subtlety there whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> this is just... <laughs> This is again that fourteen-year-old being edgy, you know, like, oh, this is great. I gotta, uh, I don't know. <sighs> anyway, we'll talk about that later. And then, and then we show, and then we show, and Kate knows she'll never have to worry about Gary's little infidelities again. No more lipstick on his collar. He's all hers. Yeah. And then we show his yeah. head on a platter. Yeah, that's why she's sure he'll be because she has his head on a platter. Yeah. Right. And then hour eight, he moves among them, experiencing the little pleasures, their minor joys. Uh, so now he's kind of like, uh, so what are they doing here? They're, they're still hallucinating here. Oh yeah. So like Betty is a, or Bet is a successful author and Judy, what is she doing here? I don't even know But look at doing. the second panel. All right. Yeah. The first panel, it looks like he's making the, the business deals on the phone or something. That young guy. The right, second right, panel right. is Louis Anderson's wife. Now we see Louis Anderson's shadow in the background, like really enjoying himself. And then she's kind of right. like holding something and licking it. I didn't catch that. Wow, I didn't catch that. Huh. I don't know what's going on there. Subtle. Um, and then, uh, go ahead. I guess he lets Judy have a bittersweet reunion with Donna, although we still don't really see Donna. It looks like Beth's legs there. No. That's a weird right. perspective on that. Right. And then the other, uh, Marsh, the old man, he's thinking he's dead, drank himself to death, and I don't know how that's a fantasy, but all right. <laughs> Alcoholics just want to die, right? I guess. So. so then, yeah, so then we get some explanation on the news about, is everybody going crazy? Reports are coming in from across the state about a wave of madness, suicide, and bad dreams. So yeah, this is obviously going on everywhere. So then hour nine, conflict, he decides, reveals character. Um, so now we have like an actual fist fight between, is this, uh, oh, this is like, is this is, what's his name, right? The trucker? That's Marsh. 
Yeah, the yeah. yeah. And he actually punches Judy in the face. Yeah. Beca- uh, yeah, this is like and, a hate crime here going and on. Yeah, read the dialogue, Michael. This is great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Marsh, honey, please calm down, please. She's just a kid. Filth. Let's well, go, filth. Huh? Yeah, you skipped the filthy dyke bitch oh, part. Oh, well, I didn't want to then... say that on a family-friendly podcast, <laughs> but okay. Um, and then, you bastard, I'll kill you. Let go of me, I'll kill him. And then, so yeah, that's pretty clear what's going on here. Let's see, can, I, keep can, I, can I jump in for a second? Yeah, go when ahead. You, when you said this is family-friendly, if there are any kids listening, you should probably stop now. It's not going to get better. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get worse. <laughs> True. Because uh, the next thing we see, uh, our 10, they, 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 they love him, they say, and they start worshiping him like a god. They love him. So they're carrying him around on their shoulders, and he's like naked now, this Dr. Destiny. <laughs> he's somehow, That's right. He's no longer has his, his clothes on. And uh, we see the business guy, he cuts off his finger... And he feeds it to Dr. Destiny. Right. So that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, so this is this sort of speaks to the his ultimate goal, which they'd left out of this issue. It's in the previous issue. But basically his plan is to drive the whole world insane and then yeah. they will make him their his god and leader because he will have the power to make them not insane. And that's his goal. So this is essentially a microcosm of what's happening around the world that we're seeing on the news. But they kind of, okay. if you're only reading this issue, it's not really entirely clear that that's what's No, it is not clear. Yeah, it seemed like he was just tormenting these people for his own enjoyment and then like the rest of the world's going insane too. I, I didn't realize he was trying to, this was a big long plan to um, take over the world. But, yeah, that is his goal. Okay. He escaped Arkham with the plan of getting this gemstone back, which he'd just gotten previously, and then take over the world. Right. So, hour 11, he catches up on the news. Nightmares, sleepishness, and insanity reported earlier on local news is shaping up to be a planet-wide phenomenon. So, yeah, this is going on everywhere, obviously. So then, Oh, uh, here 12, we go. Hour 12, my it, favorite hour. It is oh. time for them to get to know each other better. I, I want Mike y'all to do a dramatic reading of uh, yeah they basically all start confessing stuff and Louie Anderson's wife has a confession Mike y'all, would you like to give a dramatic reading Ooh, of her confession okay. yes please do <laughs> the entire thing oh yeah um, well maybe not like start where it gets uh, okay I where it gets juicy where she goes to the mor- the mortuary okay. where it, so the door opened yeah my boyfriend and I just split that's why I got drunk and I was crazy <laughs> I was horny and crazy. <laughs> I just walked and I found myself outside the funeral home and I just sort of tried the door. I think maybe I was looking for some some place to pee, you know, a ladies room and the door opened and I was in the the mortuary. There was a body on this table. Young guy. You could see he'd been, you know, good looking. And I thought it'd be fr- it, I I thought I'd be freaked out, but I wasn't. I was kind of excited. I went over to the body and I started to play with it. Then I climbed on top of him and started uh I started really going. All of a sudden, blood started to well up in his mouth, and I put my face down, and I, I, I don't want to tell you this. I don't want to tell anybody this. Sometimes when I make love to Gary, I ask, I'd ask him to lie real still. I'd close my eyes and pretend it was never, it was never the same. Oh, very good, Michael. Yeah, good job. thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> I love that, yeah. That is one of the best sequences in the book, I think, but we'll talk about that later. I, I would argue that, I mean, it's it's sort of interesting, but I would also argue that this is maybe the worst page in all of Sandman. So, this you can go either really way on that. My, uh, this is one of those scenes I mentioned earlier when my eyes were rolling. So This is so hacky and 14-year-old stuff here. Like, edgy stuff, you know what I mean? Like, edgelords on Reddit posting this in a fan you mean, picture. You mean the next page, hour 13? 
<laughs> yeah, hour thirteen, they all start having an orgy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like, who who do you think's making the sweet sweet love there behind the counter? Because you don't see anything. You just see someone's leg sticking up. Right. Uh, I guess l- later on, we, we know Judy's involved, right? And uh, who else I mean, do you think yeah, is back I, there? I feel like that's Judy's leg, but I think they're all down there. Oh, that's weird. And, and the Adams family's on TV, so that's nice. Yeah, sure they appreciated that call out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then there's this sequence here of he's just talking to well, them. One thing I want to say, though, the last panel of this page is just him sitting there looking at him. Neat. Yeah, I know. I love that. <laughs> so, so ridiculous. I do like how uh, th- this guy, what's his name, Michael? Mike Dringenberg? Yeah. I like how he draws uh, Dr. Destiny. Yeah, right. He, he does his- yeah, he's probably at this point more of an inker than a penciler. Like he really knows how to do that guy, but the rest is kind of just average, I think. Yeah, and, like and we I, said. And I want to. Oh, I'm sorry, but like we said, this was the first issue he drew. He was the right, inker right, originally. right, right, right. Yeah. Go ahead, Bob. Well, and I was going to say because I don't know exactly where he took over and or where he left and Malcolm Jones the third took over because I know he did some art with this and he became becomes the main. Um, I think he's the main penciler maybe he's just the inker i could be wrong on that yeah that malcolm jones guy yeah he was inking this one right and then and this mike uh this mike fella he didn't draw 11 straight issues um there was some breaks in there but yeah okay you know what i'm I'm looking i'm wrong yeah malcolm uh, malcolm jones the third is doing the inking and yeah this guy's doing the penciling okay i take that back ignore what i I said i think it's well we can talk about the art later but at its best um, he did remind me a little bit of like early Frank Miller on Daredevil with like the edgy sharp lines, and sure. uh, so I I kind of dug it. But anyway, all right. So uh, they have the orgy behind the counter, and then we get to hour fourteen, and again we're going twenty four. People, buckle up. Twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> we're over halfway. Yeah. Oh my god, I couldn't believe this, and I was reading. It's like I'm, they're not going to do this for twenty four. Like, yep, they're doing it for twenty four. Uh, midnight, and he consulted the oracle or oracles. Uh, so he asked them to tell him his future. Right. And we see Judy, Louis Anderson's wife, and Bet all like saying prayers to him, their hands folded. And what do they tell him, Michael? Uh, you come from dust, you walk the dust, you go back to dust. Yeah. But then he says, <laughs> no, but then he says no, tell me my future. He just keeps saying it until he gets right. what he wants to hear. There is no future <coughs> for you, John D. It's a future bounded by walls and guards and the sour smell of madness. And then the, what is the skein of your life is cut, son of your mother. Tell my future. You have stolen some of the power of dreams. You will take all of it. You know what? We should just read these out instead of talking about yeah. them. Anyway, you will crush <laughs> out the dream lord's life in your hands, John D. That's good. I like that future. Clever flies, clever little insects. And then hour 15, he gave them back their minds for a while. Which I think is a great little twist. Why? Why did? What did we do? So now they realize what's going on. Why us? God damn it! Why are you doing this stuff to us? You're gonna kill us. Why? Because I can. Hour sixteen. Party games. Murder in the dark. Ah! Hehehe. <laughs> so someone's okay, gonna killed, I guess. <laughs> but no, no one gets killed though. That's the thing. It says uh, murder in the dark, but no one dies. That's true. I guess they're all left, right? Yeah. No, no character dies there. So what, what, what's that about, Bob? What do you think happened there? Yeah, I don't really know. That doesn't actually make any sense at all. Because yeah. yeah, like I'm, I'm scrolling ahead, but I'm quite sure you're right that at that point everyone is still alive. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. Hack. Maybe it anyway. was their sanity that was murdered. <laughs> For my interest. Uh, 
<laughs> well, that was that was pages ago. <laughs> Hour so the, seventeen, confessions and penance. So what's going on here, Michael? So now we have. Uh, oh, this is another cool scene. So now we have. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Marsh. Marsh. What is it? Marsh talking to Bet, and then basically, okay, so as this is happening. He is, or she is, um, crucifying him. <laughs> well, oh, wait, no. she's, she, she's holding the nails on his hand, and he's hammering the nails into his own he's hand. He's hammering the, the nails into his own hand as he's talking, because he's confessing. And he's talking about how he found her son in well, Gotham, be right? Before that, before that, though, um, he was married to Marsha, remember? Right. And uh, she was an alcoholic, and he left her a big case of vodka when he went on the road so she could has a you know and she drank herself to death mm -hmm. with the vodka that he left so he feels guilt about that and he was also having an affair with bet and then he says that he ran into her son up in gotham and what was her her son doing in gotham michael <laughs> he'd been hustling his ass in gotham got picked up for knifing his pimp you could have him for a packet of cigarettes bam and then he nails the 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 nail in I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear this shit, bet I did. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. He banged her son <laughs> for a pack of cigarettes. That's right. This is Ed not... Ed Lord's on Reddit. This is fiction. not the Champions of Los Angeles, Mike Dell, with Hercules and Ghost Rider, okay? This is something different. <laughs> no, this is not. Nope. Uh. Um, hour 18, he brings out the beast in them. So now we see the old man gnaws at his trapped front leg. It has followed the pack. Okay. Huh? Okay, wait. i got to ask about this as well. All right, first of all, the position of his hand, I guess technically that would work because the way the hand was nailed, his arm would be different. But anyway, whatever. Sure. Um, so then we see the old male gnaws at its trapped front leg. So I guess he's supposed to be chewing on his arm here mm -hmm. to try and chew off his arm. It has followed the pack at a distance for years, hunting for scraps. What is it in that sentence? Uh, the leg, I think. I don't know. <laughs> the the or leg. Him. Or him. Yeah. Maybe it's the leg. Bob, would you like to care what, uh, take a guess of what it is in that sentence? I'm rereading I'm re it now and trying to figure out what that's supposed to mean. Yeah. Uh, here's a tip for you writers out there. Don't open sentences with it because it leads to pronoun confusion. For exactly I think that reason. I, I, yeah, remember. the it in this, I believe, is the beast inside of it. Yes. Yeah. That's what I but think so, too. It's not well written. It, but then you have the old man, the old male gnaws at its trapped front leg, so that means he's gnawing at the beast's trapped front leg? Uh, apparently. Yeah. Uh, it's very confusing. But then it doesn't even matter, because that guy's not even involved in what happens next. So, go ahead. Well, it's because he's trapped there. He can't do anything. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to gnaw through your arm, Mike. Uh, apparently, he does it, though, at the end, if you look at the what last panel on hour 22. But we'll get there in a, in a little bit yet. Well, yeah, but, uh, it, took him, it took him four hours, but he got there. <laughs> but the females are nervous of the coming conflict, and they huddle together for comfort. And then we see just Louis Anderson going batshit crazy. <laughs> right. He jumps and, on the guy on It, right? Uh, well, the young guy. Yeah, like yeah. The, oh, okay. Yeah, and, and they're they're growling, they're fighting, and uh, Louis Anderson just bites his head off. Right. Uh, Yikes. Yeah. And then, gruesome. hour 19, he lies to them. 
So we see uh, Dr. Destiny sitting on this table, chatting away. Um, and he's uh, reading from uh, Alice in Wonderland, right? Oh, no, Snow White. Snow White, yeah. Um, and then hour 20, it was time for entertainment. <laughs> so now they're all singing. And we get to see a boob. Look I know, that, that was nice. Right there. Because it's edgy. It's adult. It's mature. See a boob. It's Judy's boob. Her left boob. You're scoring at home. Yeah. Hour 21, he shows them the delights of belief. And this is where Judy uh, stabs her eyes out with ice picks, I believe that is, right? <laughs> yep. Yep, I can see the glory. Hour 22. Now we see that it looks like everyone's dead, right? Yeah, they're all dead. Yikes. But I can't, I can't tell the way this is drawn, like who some of these people are. Um, well, the young guy's like I, head's off. Yeah. Judy's eyes are out. And then there's... Uh, yeah. I guess on the left, I guess that's the late Louis Anderson's wife from her hair. You can kind of tell, I guess. Right. And yeah, she's, she's on top She's writing Anderson. Louis Anderson with his guts hanging out, I think is what's <laughs> happening there. <laughs> And then, but who's the guy here in the pants? Like, the, yeah, where's like, the? So where's, like, where's the, that's, that's the trucker, right? In the, or is that the young guy in the pants with the checkered shirt? I got, I got to make a comment. Uh, the the way the checkered shirt pattern is drawn is the absolute laziest way an artist can draw a checkered pattern. <laughs> no, that's great. Very much. It. Right? <laughs> Ridiculous. But I, I'm thinking that's the trucker because, look, his hand is still on the – it's tough yeah. to tell, but there's a hand attached to the counter. Like the, the way it's colored, it's tough to read. But, that, that, that is the trucker. I'm scrolling up, and he's wearing a checkered shirt under his jacket. Yeah. So, yeah, that so is then, the trucker. So then the young – so his head's cut off. Like, whose head is that? I think that's the young guy's head next to him. The, right. Uh, you know, it's hard But to it say. looks like the young guy is – like, because there's a guy wearing pants. That has to be the young guy, the guy wearing pants in the foreground. His head's still there. So I'm guessing that's Beth's head. Her head somehow got cut off. Hmm. Is that not Beth lying on Marsh there in the foreground? You think that's the young well, guy? Well, she's wearing she's wearing pants, though. Like, Beth was oh, a... Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that has to be the young guy. Head. Maybe someone yes. took off Beth's head at some point. Yeah, but I guess That doesn't so. make any sense, because who knows? Beth's body's not there anywhere. We, we might I'm be thinking, dissecting this too much. I'm thinking what happened is probably when they had that hour 16 with the, someone murdered in the dark, they meant to murder Bet in the dark and cut off her head and then they forgot. And then just, I don't know. Could be. That's possible. Yeah. So anyway. All right, so they're all dead. That's the important thing. Now, here is my favorite part of the book. <laughs> hour 23. It's, it's just six panels of a fly uh, bugging Dr. Destiny. He's just sitting there. And then uh, he grabs the fly, eats it, and then just in the sixth panel, he looks at the camera and just starts swinging his little jewel. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. great. <laughs> so then we finally, thank God, we're at the end. Hour 24, uh, Rick Ocasek shows up. <laughs> and they start, he starts singing My Best Friend's Girl. And then <laughs> the book ends. So there it is. That's the book. But explain uh, yeah. what happens here on this last page, Micah. So he basically, Dream walks in, and Dr. Destiny's like, Ah, hello. I'm glad you're here. It was starting to get a bit boring. But you don't look strong enough to even make it interesting, do you? And that's the end. Yeah. Right. And then it says, Next issue, my brother, my enemy. Right? Oh, no, sorry. It says, <laughs> I, I <win>. Dream's <laughs> end. Yeah. <laughs> Dream's end. end. Yep. There you go. Yeah. 
the Sandman. So, all right, Michael. So, why did you pick this issue? Good question. Good question. I believe I heard uh, rumblings that my choice of issue was questioned. (laughs) It makes more sense when you say you thought it concluded. Yeah. I thought it was the first standalone. That's why I picked it. Because, obviously, I could have... Wait, are you eating, Michael? Are you eating during the show? Yeah, I'm eating a date. (laughs) Eating a, a, a pitted date, okay? A date. Mm. You're gonna pick it up real good on the new audio, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mistake. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, the first uh, whatever five issues were definitely a continued story, but I thought this was standalone, so it was my mistake. Looking back, I could have picked number one, or I could have picked. I think number eight introduces death, right? Yeah, and yeah. number eight's a story I really like, which my yeah. would also hate. It's very. Pretentious. I could, yeah, maybe next time. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll do number eight. But yeah, I chose number six. And also, we're limited to up until, I think, 12. Because once we get to December 89, right? We can't go past December 89. So <laughs> I had right. to pick yeah. for the Yeah, I mean, 12. I wanted to quibble with that. Like, to call this Bronze Age, I think, is already beyond <laughs> yeah. the realm. But I'm not complaining. Yeah, more... I just thought, well, it's like, this isn't, this doesn't yeah. fit. Right. We're, we're more 70s, 80s, I guess, to include it. But uh, yeah. yeah, like technically, we should probably define where the boundary is. But w- right now, it's December 89, which, yeah, you're right. It doesn't. This is not Bronze Age. That's for sure. But that's that Mike L always cutting corners, trying to be sneaky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what else? Uh, so what do you want to say about this, Bob? <laughs> How do you feel about this? About this issue in particular, yeah, um, I like it. I definitely don't love it. Like you said, it's it's very edgy for the sake of being edgy. And I, I, I think wh- it would read better if like I w- had read issues five and then seven. Like if it's just one element of a larger story, it would probably be read a lot better. But oh, if you're just reading does. this as a self-contained issue, it's kind of like like if I just. Remember Michael always Jim Shooter would say if you pick up a book you want to make sure people know what's going on and they know Sure, all the it's a, it's someone Like if you just pick this comic. book up and you use this to represent what the Sandman is, you're going to be like what the fuck was this, you know? But um yeah. Yeah, that's so. very much not a thing you can do with most Sandman books. As they right. get yeah. so there's like 12, I don't know, I guess you call them anthologies or whatever. That's how they're split up in the trade or 10. In the trade paperbacks they're split into 10 larger groups and like seven or eight of them are all long story arcs and the other ones are shorter story arcs or self-contained issues but for the most part yeah if you just jump in and grab one at random it's not really going to make sense because it's definitely meant to be read as a larger story and i think this is better in the in the larger story but even still it's it's very clear that this is a young writer trying to do something new with comics and trying to be edgier and darker than he needed to be yeah, and again, we should mention, uh, again, it's 89, so this is completely, like, new, Michael. No one else is writing like this in 89, no, right? absolutely <laughs> I mean, not. So no. I mean, maybe Alan Moore, but that's it. When you put it in the context of the era, uh, you can understand why it was so different and new. And um, and like we were saying, if you're reading this in a, in a collection of the books, like if you're just reading them like one at a time in a row, you wouldn't even notice like it would have it was that big of a deal. But when you're just reading this as a single issue, it's kind of cumbersome. But, right, uh, right, right. Um, so, what, Bob, what do you feel about the art here? Um, the art on this one I kind of like. Um, it, it's, it works for sort of the darker style. 
I like the art more in later issues, which is weird because that's when he, they get into the dream world and things take more of that dark fantasy approach, but for some reason I enjoy it more. I just also really like the character design of Dream itself, and we basically get none of that here. So, But <laughs> I like the art in this. It's it's not my favorite, but I like it. Yeah, it's fine. It's uh, it's definitely more like uh, 90s art. Like We're right on the verge of 90s. Oh, for here. sure, yeah. You can definitely see that. Um, it's like definitely I said, doing I, something new that hadn't really been done before. Like I said, at its best, it's got those sharp edges and clean lines, and uh, I think at its worst, it probably you could say it seems rushed. Some of the panels, like. Um, and that's definitely a thing in Sandman that they kept running into is they had trouble meeting their monthly deadlines because the artists couldn't keep up, and so mm-hmm. as they get later on, Neil Gaiman starts starts realizes like, oh well this is even better because I can just get different artists for different issues and different stories. So it's not as the stories go on, the artists change because it's like a, because the artists just couldn't keep up with the monthly deadlines and B just because they wanted to try something different. But yeah, it's definitely kind of rushed. That's a thing that was very much happening this first year that I'm aware of at least is they were having trouble making their deadlines. But I mean, it's fine. It's good art. Nothing bad here. Yeah. Yeah. Like that last shot of, of dreams face is great. You know, like, yeah. he's clearly good well, at shadows yeah. and inks and whatever. Yeah, I think the art's at its best when it's using the dark, uh, heavy blacks and uh, right. when it's really ink heavy. I think it's right, when it right, looks right. its best. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts on the art? Or the, yeah, and the just everything in general because you well, picked it, so you love clearly. This I, I I love it. Like um, yeah. you know, like I said, I've maybe only read half the Sandman run, but this is. One of the issues that definitely stood out to me, even though looking back, Sandman is only in two panels, um, <laughs> but the actual writing I think is great. I mean, I can see all your issues with it as, as being pretentious, but I mean, I've heard the same thing leveled against like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison. So I don't know. I mean, what are you gonna do, right? I don't know. When you're trying to expand the pretentious. medium, I guess you're gonna come off as pretentious or whatever. But here's here's the problem when I I have with that. Like um, people say, well, you know, they're trying to elevate it, make it more literary and stuff. All right, mm-hmm. well, if you're making it more literary, then let's judge it by literary critiques and actual literary standards. Sure. And this is poor, very poor. Uh, if you're saying, well, it's good for a comic book, though, I'm like, oh, all right. But I thought you were trying to elevate the form. You know, what are you doing here? Are you writing well, a comic I book think, or are you doing more? I think if you're doing trying... more. It needs to be better than this. That's what I'm saying. And and, and I agree. And in defense, because, you know, I've mentioned I really like Neil Gaiman. Like, this is his first big comic book story. And I don't think he'd even written a novel at this point. I think he was working on Good Omens at this point. But, like, this is is where he was starting, basically, or early in his career. Right. Because it it definitely becomes more elevated as it goes on. But you can tell this is clearly somebody who's still trying to find their voice and figure out what they're doing. Because it's very Alan Moore. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure, like you said, uh, I'm sure like later on this gets much, much better. So I don't want to judge all... I just, uh, like I said, this just isn't my thing, though. It's just not something I, I like, so I don't know. But oh, yeah, I for sure. Know. This is definitely not your thing. I will point out, though, <laughs> that, this, that it did win several major awards. Like, what was the... Was the Eisner Award or something? Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, yeah like, it, it was the first graphic novel ever to win... And so then, like, the next morning, they changed the rules so a graphic novel could never win again. Or oh, first I, comic to something along those lines. I think you mean the World Fantasy Award, right? It may have been the World Fantasy Award. Right. I may be thinking of that. It, it won a lot of awards. I can't keep track. And I don't really know them that well because I'm not deep into literature. 
But when you say it won a lot, you mean the series, not necessarily the series. Yeah, not not this, (laughs) not this. (laughs) The series itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the point I want to make. This I enjoyed, but it gets so much better. Yeah. Now, now, Mike. Yeah. What's the whole uh, story arc? Because it's it's basically one long story. The whole seventy-five issues, right? Like that was the whole idea. Like it's one big long story. Mm-hmm. And from what I, I gathered, is it's uh, Dream is realizing he has to change to exist. Like he needs to change. Well, here's the thing. I haven't read them all. Oh, that's right. Bob, Bob. has. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's one, like, overarching story, but that's definitely where it comes in. Because in the, um, you don't get it in this issue, obviously, but when it starts, it's Dream's kind of like a a petulant punk ass, I guess. And in issue Like an emo kid. A little emo, yeah, I mean, they're all kind of emo. That's kind of the vibe of the whole book. But, like, he's, Dream, or uh, Death in issue eight literally rips into him. Is like, you're just, you're so selfish, you're self-centered, you don't think about anything. And there's stories that go on about, without getting into all the details, eventually he has dealings with, well, he did already, he has more dealings with Lucifer um, because essentially he fell in love with a human woman and uh-huh. she decided she can't love him because that would be terribly wrong because he's above a god. And he's like, well, then, fuck you. I'm going to banish you to hell for, like, 10,000 years. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be swearing. It's a children's <laughs> episode. Oh, um, but but yeah, <laughs> just... he's very petulant and just very about himself. And so, like, this arc is the beginning of him starting to not, not care about people but be less of a dick, basically. Ah, okay. And that's kind of where – and I'd say that's overall the arc is him – appreciating humanity i guess i don't know i just hope to god by the end of it he gets back that bag of sand (laughs) he's he's already got the bag of sand at this point he dealt with john constantine and got that that was like issue three or four he got the bag that's a relief (laughs) he's the sand man he has to have a bag of sand that's important hey mike l I think yeah. I read uh, that first Sandman guy. What did you say his name was? Wesley Dobbs or whatever? Yeah. Uh, something like that. Uh, he, apparently, he carried a bag of sand as well and a blowtorch. And his gimmick was he could, like, throw the sand in the air, heat it real quick, and make, like, a wall. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's true. Come on. No, I read that. That's, that's huh. what they said he did. I mean, that's right. weird. But, so, so uh, Bob, what does this Sandman use the sand for? Tap dancing? puts it on the floor um (laughs) essentially he uses it to make people dream um like they don't really cover it much like this whole first arc is like him getting these things back but then i don't think he really uses them in the future Um, (laughs) well spoiler alert in the next issue the ruby gets destroyed um and he has his helmet around but i don't think he really uses it much and the sand is just like he uses it to make people go to sleep if he's in the real world and things like that what does the helmet look like? Is it like a Loki situation with the big horns? Or? Uh, no, it's actually the best description I can think of it. Have you seen Alien? No. Okay. What? Uh, well, it, 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 that's, that's ridiculous in itself, and <laughs> yeah, I'm judging exactly. you for it. Uh, but he looks like the space. It looks like the space jockey in Alien. It's like a big dome. It's almost elephant-like, but it's like a Giger version of an elephant. It's weird. But we should point out that uh, Dream's mask is is retcon to be the source of the design for Wesley Dodd's mask, right? Because it looks like an insect-like mask, but with a big tube coming out the front. So I think isn't the idea 
that oh, Wesley like, does. Like it's a gas mask kind of thing. Yeah, it, it, but it, but like it looks like a like a giant insect, but kind of like a gas mask. Yeah, yeah I think the cert- yeah. Yeah, that certainly fits. And yeah, like I mentioned, Wesley Dodds does show up in one of these early issues because while Dream's imprisoned, people on Earth are having all kinds of problems. Some of them are sleeping all the time. Some of them are awake all the time. Wesley Dodds starts getting visions in his dreams of becoming this character and fighting crime as a Sandman. And so that's they explain it in like two panels of here's how Wesley Dodds fits into this continuity. He became the Sandman while Morpheus was in, entrapped and not able to control Dream's. Right. So uh, I'm feeling, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, this is the last time we ever talk to Sandman on the show. So, Bob, we should let you, anything else you'd like to say about it? <laughs> the whole series, the character. Uh-oh. Why should people read the Sandman? If people are listening to this out there, why should they read the Sandman? Um, I think it's a really interesting and frankly a little bit pretentious story um (laughs) but it's got a lot of really interesting ideas about what dreams are and how powerful they are to us and i really like when they get into the other members of the family death and despair and desire and such um he brings in because it is the world of dreams he's basically able to use anything from pop culture that isn't totally copyrighted like main (laughs) main characters in this story are um cain and abel um, Shakespeare shows up several times. Um, I feel like there's some other big literary and history people that he's just like, yeah, we're going to bring those in because Sandman introduced their dreams. And like Shakespeare is prominent. Shakespeare becomes famous because he makes a deal with Sandman. And that's what inspires him to write a Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh-huh. And that's one of my favorite stories. <clears throat> All right. Fair also, enough. he goes to hell sometimes, and that's fun. There's a great story where he goes to hell, and Lucifer decides that Lucifer doesn't want to run hell anymore, so he kicks everyone out of hell, and that's a really interesting story too. I, I went to hell when I was reading this book. Yeah, no, this, this is. I will say this: if you are into superhero comics and people fighting giant monkeys, Sandman yes. is not for you. There's no right. doubt about that. There, there's no Sandman. Doubt. Sandman is the comic book that got. Uh, beat up by other comic books in high school. That's how I would Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned the music a little bit, but, like, you you made fun of, like, you Mm. can hear the Cure in the background and, you know, the Joy Division stuff, but turns out I really like the Cure and Joy Division. (laughs) This is is just in my wheelhouse. I didn't get beat up, but I certainly could have. If I went to the right place, it would have fit. It's just not me. It's just not my thing. So, whatever. Um... But I can appreciate it if you're saying it's good. And if Mike L, uh, I want you to read all 75 issues then, Mike. I'm disappointed that you've never read the whole sure. run. Sure. It's in the queue, but the problem is I keep getting delayed by reading Defenders and Champions of Los Angeles. You know? <laughs> 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 well, get ready. Also, yeah. several spinoffs you got to read too, Mike L. There's yeah. like three or four other spinoff stories. And then yeah, other he... spin- that, that just Neil Gaiman wrote. And then there's other spinoffs from there. Yes. That's what I was going to say. From what I was oh, reading, sorry. there's other other authors have done spinoffs, and then Neil Gaiman did uh, two limited series about death specifically, right? Right. The mm-hmm. high cost of living, and then something else. Can't remember. But uh, yep. I forget. I've got it like 15 feet behind me, but I forget what it's called. <laughs> um, is it dead? Oh, and loving of, it. Time of your no. life. I think is what it is. Time of your life. All right. There and also, go. let's let's talk about Lucifer, the spinoff that was adapted into a TV a network TV show, right? Oh really? 
Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. Right Mike now. Carey wrote that. I've read some of that. I've got a bunch of them in trade paperbacks. I haven't read them all. But yeah, they basically took the idea that after Lucifer left hell, he went to become a nightclub owner in L.A. and <laughs> writes about that. And yeah, I think it's a Fox show. Is that right? I think so. And I'll have to point out that's actually a show my, my parents tried to get me into. <laughs> you know, because you got to watch this show, Lucifer, you know. So I think that's the key about this is whether or not it's perfect or not isn't the question, although I do think it's great, but at least <laughs> DC was trying to do something different, expand the readership, you know, appeal to people that were not 13-year-old boys, you know what I mean? So I, I oh, gotta give props is, for that. I think this is appealing to 14-year-old boys. Um, appealing to people who, you know, like to have sex with dead bodies and, you know, <laughs> yeah, this, this was yeah. not the issue to introduce this to Mike <laughs> Dell, but then again, you wouldn't have liked most of it. So. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. All right. So, uh, well, Mike, yeah, one out of ten, what do you give it? Uh, I'll give it an eight. I was going to give right. it a nine, but because it's a cliffhanger, I'll give it an eight. <laughs> All right. Bob. Uh, if we're just judging this issue. Yes. Just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a seven though I'm not even sure that's Whoa. fair. I, I think it's higher because I it's so hard to separate it from the high, the total art. But maybe maybe it's a six and I won't use halves because I don't want to get the wrath. But um, <laughs> it's somewhere <laughs> it's somewhere between a six and a seven because it's it's interesting but it's a little mm. it's a little on the nose. Yes, I'll, I'll give it a three and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not even generous. more for the art. Uh, well, the art's mixed into that three. I, I just did not enjoy... I, I like the, the page of him eating the fly. <laughs> I really did not enjoy any of it. And I actually read it more than once to try and like find stuff that I thought... Well, I mean, it's it's okay. I get what he's doing, you know, the 24-hour the thing. I just thought that really dragged. And uh, I don't I don't know. I just just for like Just for context, what did you give the human fly again? Seven. <laughs> okay. Seven. Well, that That's human what, fly, that, that was quality storytelling right there. That was and, great. <laughs> and now you know why fly. our listenership <laughs> is at nine people total. Anyway. Dude, okay. hey, I will take Bill Mantlo, Human Fly 1, over this any day. <laughs> any day. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> All right. All right. So next week, Michael. Woo. We're picking a winner be? next week. We're going to the Great White North. Going Canada. Woo! Oh, is Alpha it Flight? Centrix? Oh, oh no. <laughs> Alpha Flight number 12 from nice. 1984. Sweet. Yeah. I'm excited. And this, of course, is uh, written and drawn by John Byrne, who I, I know we've talked about John Byrne on the show, but I don't know if we've ever actually done an issue that he was involved in, have we? No, I don't think so, no. Yeah. So, uh, Alpha Flight, Canadians' proudest heroes. Alpha Flight number 12. I know what happens in that issue already because I've read it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but... I've yeah, never read it. Too... I haven't. I... The only Alpha Flight I know about is like when they dealt with the X-Men and the X-Men yeah. series. But is, is Sasquatch in this? Should be. Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it should be. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. I've never read Alpha Flight, the actual series. Like uh, Bob, I just know him from uh, X Men and Alpha Flight, that limited series which I loved, and uh, you know their appearances in the X Men over the years. But uh, so here we'll go, Alpha Flight in Canada. Very excited. 
Mike, you don't seem enthused about reading about Canadians' favorite sons and daughters. Well, I, I was expecting centrics, but well, I can settle for. See, I don't even know what that is. I don't know. What no, that is. I, he may have I, made that one up. No, yeah. I, I, as a gag, I was gonna wish Happy Canada Day, but I know that whenever people pick uh-huh. Canadian superheroes, they always pick Alpha Flight. So no, I'm gonna go to DC, and it, it turns out DC only has one Canadian superhero, and his name is Centrix. <laughs> <laughs> never heard of him. Yeah, I never heard of him either. So that tells you how important Canada is to DC Comics. But whatever. Um, anyway, yeah. I guess that yeah. wraps up this uh, episode, right? I guess so. Bob, thanks for joining us. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug? <laughs> yeah, uh, anything to tell the kids? Not really. No, I don't think I have anything to plug at all. Um, no, I got nothing. <laughs> all right. Go listen to all the right, Cure. Well. The Cure is very good. There you go. <laughs> All right, Michael. I guess we're done here then. All right. So, yeah, join us every week on Flea Market Fantasy. We review a different Bronze Age comic. Sometimes we push the limits of the Bronze Age, but it's always good fun. Um, So, yeah, we're available on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and Twitter, all under Comic Book Syndicate or on the Comic Book Syndicate website. So, yeah, until next Tuesday, disperse! Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.